Are you ready to take your mindset to an even higher level on and off the mat? Then you're ready for the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, where business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs open their minds to new ideas and concepts that will help you during your entrepreneurial journey and during your consistent pursuit of becoming the best version of yourself personally and professionally. It's time to go beyond the mat with the host of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, Gustavo Dantas. Welcome to episode 98. I'm your host, Gustavo Dantas, and today we have Jiu-Jitsu Black Belt Caleb Plank. Caleb is the co-owner of Inferno Martial Arts in Arkansas, which currently has three locations. My takeaway from the interview came when he talked about modeling excellence, which inspired me to title this episode, Success Leaves Clues, which is a quote from the motivational speaker, Tony Robbins. Stick around for my final thoughts after the interview when I expand on the topic, Success Leaves Clues. Stay tuned right after Jiu-Jitsu Tribe's message. Woos. The BJJ Mental Coach Podcast is a proud supporter of the nonprofit organization Jiu-Jitsu Tribe, formerly Live Jiu-Jitsu. Jiu-Jitsu Tribe supports social projects who offer free jiu-jitsu classes to unprivileged children and young adults in impoverished communities, inspiring, impacting, and improving their lives, keeping them away from drugs and crime, creating hope, and creating champions on and off the mats. Your donation helps projects to pay for their monthly expenses and facility makeovers. As a supporter, the BJJ Mental Coach donate all the profit of all online courses and merchandise to Jiu-Jitsu Tribe. For more information, please visit www.jujitsutribe.org. Let me introduce you to today's guest, Caleb Plank. Caleb is a lifelong martial artist who has earned black belts in several martial arts, including jiu-jitsu. In 2006, Caleb decided to leave the corporate world to pursue his passion, and now in 2020, he is the co-owner of Inferno Martial Arts, which currently has three academies with a total of nearly 1,000 students. He is also certified in law enforcement defensive tactics, and Caleb hosts Inferno Podcast. Caleb, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I appreciate you getting a hold of me and having me on today. Yes, sir. So we're recording this in April of 2020, while the madness of the coronavirus is happening right now. I always like to give the date because some people might be listening to this in five to 10 years from now and be like, oh, I remember when that happened. Yes, it's happening right now. So how's the dynamic right now? It's okay um, within reason because it's an unprecedented thing. So it's a lot of new unknowns, but it really has just driven me and my team as far as uh, the gyms and stuff like that to get creative and so I kind of value what is happening to a degree with what I'm having to deal with because it's forcing me to grow. It's forcing me to get creative. And the bonus of that is I'm getting to reconnect with a lot of old friends and I have True. time to communicate with people. So I'm following, I'm finding the silver lining out of it, but definitely is a, it's a difficult time. A lot of people are struggling right now and it's just so many unknowns. Nobody, nobody knows what we're supposed to do. Yeah. And one thing that as soon as it happened too was, of course, it's uh, it's an unfortunate situation, of course, and no one could ever even dream of something like that. But as you mentioned, I feel that if you look in deep, they, there is an opportunity for growth. There are opportunities for growth. You just got to really dig in and be creative and make something happen. So everyone, it's nice to see everyone just 
just moving out of their comfort zone because sometimes it just screws and the next thing, uh, oh, I got to think about a plan B. So that's what are we doing right now? And and then we talk later about your podcast too, that I had an interview yeah. as well. But first, just uh, just let us know how martial arts got into your life and then eventually jujitsu. Well, my dad was a martial artist. He was a green brain in the army and he was a judo karate black belt. So growing up, it was martial arts all the time at the house because that was a passion of his. So I kind of grew up punching and kicking and, and doing moves. And then he kind of figured out what most parents do that you can't teach your own kid very well. So he took me to a karate class and I really didn't fit in well. I was, I was very immature for my age. Really that has continued on. If, if you ask my wife, it's still very, very true. Um, so I went to this karate class and I just could not figure out what we were supposed to do. I got in trouble for punching a kid because I thought that's what we're supposed to be doing. And um, so then that lasted for a very short time. And then I found a Taekwondo school maybe a year or two later because a friend of mine was training there. And of course I was like, I want to do martial arts because I loved it. I just couldn't find a good fit. And this school, because back then all you had was basically a Taekwondo or karate school with where I was at. I'm in the mid South. It's the eighties. You know, karate kid is everywhere. Uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is not even thought about. So I started this Taekwondo class and I stuck with that for several years. And, and that kind of took me to my teenage years and I got my black belt in Taekwondo as, as a teenager. And around that time, I really started thinking there has to be more. Cause I, cause my dad was always talking about it from a, a military self-defense perspective where the Taekwondo I was in was very sport driven. So I knew there had to be something more. I was always getting books at the library, reading magazines at the grocery store when I went with my mom. So I was always an avid seeker of martial arts. And so I was always kind of reaching for more and more. And I ended up finding out about Jeet Kune Do, which at that time was just revolutionary because oh, you're mixing martial arts, you're doing different things. And through those circles is whenever I found grappling. And these guys are doing a lot of nogi and they're talking about jujitsu. And man, I can still remember the first day that they were like, yeah, what do you do when you go to the ground? And I just shrugged my shoulders and mm -hmm. it's like, I, I don't know. I guess I would, you know, try a move or something. And, and oh my gosh, I just, I was so distraught afterwards because <laughs> I've been training my entire life in martial arts and I just, there was no answer. I just couldn't do anything and I was frustrated. Well, then they also did Muay Thai, you know, because in the JKD circles, you did striking and ground and some weapons work. And so then they wanted to do some striking and I was like, oh, well, man, I've been striking my whole life. Oh my gosh. Once again, I was just so, so frustrated because I just did not have answers for these different ranges of combat. And, and, but that was when I was hooked. Um, so that just, I fell in love with it, trained every single day as much as I could, you know, cause I'm still in school and, but I was always trying to find more martial arts. And, and when I found jujitsu, gosh, man, I just, I was like, I, it was like magic to me because <laughs> I just was just a kid and ignorant and I didn't know any better and definitely was a, a pivotal point for my martial arts career, I guess you would say. 
Right on. And man, when you look back all these years, of course, martial arts, but like being more specific with jujitsu, how do you feel that relates to life or the lessons that you got with jujitsu so far? Man, it really correlated very well because the martial arts overall, the underlying principle is, you know, perseverance, discipline, focus. But when I got into the jujitsu part, I feel like that was a little bit more profound because it was more alive and, and flowing. Um, it was not what I would perceive as static, especially in, in those days, because that's how I looked at martial arts was there, there was static and then there was live action. And in the live action portion of a lot of the martial arts styles I was training was, it was difficult to really pressure test those too often. And, you know, it was very, kind of clunky it, it was step one step two step three and then the jujitsu just like it had a flow about it and it caused me to have to problem solve differently and it, it caused me to have to increase my awareness because i was terrible at jujitsu like i mean for three years man you could roll a a square brick down the floor and it was smoother than i was i mean I can remember because we were in a small town, so there is no jujitsu schools. There's no instructors. We're driving two hours one way to learn any type of grappling and we would go train. I can remember training two or three years and I would teach a brand new guy that come into our little tool shed fight club thing that we had. I would show him a triangle on his first day and he would end up getting me in a triangle on his first day. And I, and it didn't bother me for, for the first couple of years because I, it was just, I was a student, we're learning. But after about two years, I started really like, man, how, how is this happening? Like, I mean, I'm not that good, but I shouldn't be getting choked out by a guy that's his first night. So, <laughs> and, that's, and that really um, encouraged me to start seeking out better information. Um, and it, and coming back around to your question is it helped me apply that to life because I started learning early on. You have to seek people that are better than you and that have way more experience than you. And you have to step out of your comfort zone. You just, because for me having black belts in other styles and teaching classes, you know, there's a little bit of pride and ego, especially as a, you know, late teens getting into early twenties male, like, you know, I mean, there's a little bit of bravado there. So so my pride and ego is getting in the way and it makes it difficult for you to learn sometimes because you're concerned you're going to look silly. You don't want to be embarrassed. But when I found jujitsu, it really just helped me put that all away because I knew that it was so authentic that this was the, the answer to what I'd been looking for as far as self-defense and, and the different combat ranges. Like I just, I knew that it was the real deal. And it really helped me shed that fear of embarrassment and, and that transition into my life because I became very aggressive towards achieving my goals and I started aiming higher with a loftier goal. So, so my view started moving from the like neighborhood perspective to more of a worldly perspective because I was willing to go anywhere to get information. Nice. And what moment do you feel that you're, start cooking the idea of making a living with jiu-jitsu with martial arts in general said you know what i think i'm gonna make a living of this that was before jiu-jitsu when you already had that it actually was so it's kind of a silly story it was in the third grade 
And I was <laughs> sitting at a lunchroom table with my friend. And we were just sitting there having lunch because, you know, third grade, you're like <laughs> seven or eight. And my friend looks at me and he's like, man, I just think you're going to do this karate stuff forever. And I remember looking at him and I said, I think you're absolutely right. And I don't know why that moment stuck with me, but I just always knew that this was my passion and my desire was to do martial arts. And I didn't know really where it came from. Me and my dad have a great relationship. He's definitely my hero, been a great inspiration to me because he's done so many amazing things in his life. And so as a kid, you know, hearing the stories of his, his martial arts background and being the Green Beret and the soldier and then, you know, all the cool stuff he did after that, it just, uh, it inspired me to be better. And I think that that maybe set me on my path of that was normal to me was, you know, to be, I guess you could call it the, the hero or the guy in charge or the person to go save people or help people because that was always my dad. And so I think that it just felt so normal to me that that's what you do. You know, you go out, you get better, protect your family, protect yourself. And, you know, you strive to be the person that's the first one to jump in to help somebody or rescue somebody, you know, something like that. So I, I just feel like it was the norm of my world perspective as a young person. And when exactly do you actually open a first business or start doing teaching you running your own program? You know? So that was around age 16. Um, and it wasn't even on purpose. I was training in a Taekwondo school and we were doing some other martial arts there. We started doing Kali and grappling and Thai boxing, you know, so we were doing all these other things outside of classes and the guy that was running the place just kind of quit showing up. So I would, you know, cause I would cover a class if he wasn't there and then he wasn't there another day. And so then before you know it, it's first of the month and, and we would chat on the phone and I would run into him periodically. Um, cause this was a part-time school for him, mm -hmm. but he just wasn't there. So then I got a notebook and I started kind of tracking who paid their monthly dues of like $35. Um, <laughs> so I started tracking their monthly dues on a piece of paper and then I just kind of started tracking, oh, you needed a uniform. And we started building up the Thai boxing and grappling classes. So I just, before I knew it, I was kind of running this little school and I had no clue what I was doing. You know, I was just repeating what I'd been doing my whole life, but I enjoyed it. Cause I mean, I had assisted in classes before then. It just, it was becoming consistent where every day I was at the school teaching classes and I loved it. Um, up until the one day I showed up and the door was locked because Oops. the rent was not getting paid. So that was, uh, that was the turning point in which we were like reality we kicked in. <laughs> yes. Because so my best friend is Mike and we were training together that time because he kind of came into the martial arts through the grappling tie boxing and, and stick and knife stuff, the JKD stuff. And so we met at that school and we were the ones that were teaching the classes. Well, the two guys that were kind of our instructors, you know, training partners, you know, the guys that are supposed to be running the school, they were never there. So me and Mike are always looking at each other like, man, we're teaching all these classes, which we didn't care. We thought it was awesome. But then that day that we showed up down there and the doors were locked, you know, Mike and I just looked at each other and we're like, man, we got to quit messing around with stuff like this, you know, cause this is, cause it was not the first time that we had been involved with a school that just was not what we thought it was going to be. And, and stuff like that had happened. And cause all we want to do is train martial arts 
and we were just tired of the other stuff that was going with it. So that's really whenever we sat down and we're like, you know what? We need to just start doing our own thing. We're just going to keep training with the, the guys that we'd connected with. You know, we're driving a couple hours this way, a couple hours that way and doing the seminar circuits. So we were like, we'll just keep going. So we started training a little bit um, in his carport for the striking portion because I was, I was like, you know what? I'm going to take a Muay Thai fight because I could compete. And so I was like, I'm going to do this Muay Thai fight. So I trained for that whole fight, you know, out in his little open garage thing that was so nasty and dirty, but it's all we had at the time. And uh, so that's where we, we had to start. And we were just kind of done with all that other stuff. And when was the, um, when was the, the first time you actually leased a place? So the first one I don't think would count as a lease. So the Inferno, the Inferno tool shed is kind of legendary in our little circles because our friend's grandma had this metal building next to her house. that was like a 30 by 30, no insulation, no heat, no air. It had electricity. And that was the first spot that we rented. And we were like, oh, this is going to be it. So we go, we get some shag orange nasty carpet out of this dumpster somewhere. And we go duct tape it to the floor of this metal shop. And it had staples in it. So for like three months, you'd be out there walking around and get stuff in your toes of staples. But after about three months, we get all the staples out. Um, <laughs> and we had these two five by 10 blue mats that one of our buddies owned. And he let us borrow those. And we hung up this one heavy bag on this nasty metal rack that we welded together that was terrible and dangerous, that had so much tetanus on it. Oh, I just couldn't believe we were doing it. But that was the tool shed. So that's where we started. And I paid $125 a month for rent to this, to this old lady that we, that we knew. And we were there for, I mean, almost three years. And, and it was tough because in the summer, I mean, it was hot in there. And in the winter, we had a rule if it was 22 degrees or lower, we wouldn't have class because it was so cold. So we moved a wood stove in there and we had this junky stove pipe that we had put in. It's completely unsafe. I look back now and I'm like, oh my gosh, man. If, if Miss Wanda would have known what we were doing out there with this stove, she would have run us off. So we would go start a fire about two hours before class and just pack it full of wood. And the fire would go up through the stovepipe because the stovepipe was so junky and busted open. You could see it so easily. And so that once the flames would get up halfway to the stovepipe, we were like, oh, that means it'll be a little bit better. And we would come in two hours later to do class. Well, when you would start rolling, it was so cold. We would start with a bunch of layers. So you would have, you know, shorts and then sweats and then a hoodie and gloves and a beanie. And so every round you would shed uh, a layer. Mm -hmm. So by the, by the, by the last round, we would be in like no gi attire because we didn't even know that gi jujitsu was really a thing. Like we'd, we'd seen the gi, you know, with, with UFC and stuff like that. But you know, we were, we were tough cage fighters. We didn't have time for that. that <laughs> so, so by the last round we'd be in no gi attire and um, it was definitely crazy, crazy time. And what year was that? That was 2003. Yeah, that was 2003. So we were, as a teenager, leaving the school was about 2000, um, whenever it closed, maybe 2001. And then we kind of trained out of Mike's garage. And just, um, I actually was doing a keto at this other school because um, there was a two-year block that I wasn't really able to train. And so during that time, there was this Aikido school I was training at and 
kind of using that for a little bit of you know physical rehab and stuff like that and they had mats so we would kind of we started using that place once I was a little bit more physical again, able to train harder. So it wasn't until 03 that we started the tool shed. And when was the time that you guys like stepped up or be like, okay, starting to get more serious. And at the same time, how was the mindset back then to make this decision to step up? Yeah, we, that was about two years later. I was working in the corporate world because I had completed college and I had a real job and I was traveling all over the place and, and making good money. I mean, for just a young kid, um, I progressed in the company real quick and I got a VP ship real quick and they were paying me all this money. Like I can remember carrying thousands of dollars in my car with me in cash in case I saw something I wanted, like somebody had a car or motorcycle and I would literally walk up to people and be like, I will pay you $4,000 for that right now. And I ended up buying a motorcycle and a Mustang because I was so young and I had no debt and I was just dumb. I didn't know what to do with it. So I'm just buying toys. And so my buddy Mike called me and he said, man, there's this place down on main street that's for rent. He's like, we could put a school there because we were kind of getting tired of the, the inferno lifestyle of it, 110 degrees in the metal building and being so freezing cold in the winter. And I had this job. So we had resources to where, you know, maybe we could do something. And I can remember Mike called me and I was out of town. He said, yeah, we can get this place on main street. We'll have to clean it up, but it'll, it'll be a good location that we can put a school there. Cause, and I was like, you know what, man, let's do it. So he, he lined it up. I showed back up in, you know, that weekend or something. And we went to work on cleaning this place up, which was nasty. I mean, oh my gosh. But, but the camaraderie that happened in that moment, because we're at this tool shed, we probably had 15, 15, 16 people that were training with us on and off. We had you know, a good little group and we were getting tight and everybody was trying to train. We were fighting and competing. And so that everybody came together for this first location. And because our other long-term friend, Sparks, he'd been with us forever. We were all best friends. And he had just moved back from being a traveling nurse and and he was like, man, this is exactly what we need to do. And so the three of us started working on this building and then all of the students came in and everybody pitched in and helped. And we were taking down walls and cleaning it up and kind of making it, which we say cleaning up now, which, oh my gosh, man, if you, yeah. if you looked at this school, it was definitely not that clean. But compared to the tool shed, man, we were upgrading <laughs> major because at the new school, we actually like got duct tape. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We actually had duct tape that matched the color of the carpet we were taping down this time. So we were really upgrading. We were like, man, you know, that, the tape even matches the carpet. That's pretty legit. So we were just young, excited. And that was our, that's when we would kind of what I would call our first commercial school. We actually built a sign and, you know, put, stuff on the windows and we bought more mats and started expanding, having regular classes, started teaching kids. So that was really when we kicked it off. And that was in you know January of 06. So we'd been doing the tool shed thing for about three years. And that's when we decided, you know what, we're going to do it our way. And we're going to be in a, a position to help people that want to do martial arts. And that's kind of what kicked it off. Right on. And now when you look back into this journey, let's talk about some of the struggles. What's something that stands out to you? Of course, a lot of struggles is part of the journey, but some, what's something that stands out to you and what did you learn from it? I'd say the biggest thing was discernment. 
is when you're young or when you're new to an industry or a topic um, or just those circles, you struggle discerning what to believe, what is truth, what is the path. And it's honestly more of perspective bias because where I was at at that point in my life, at that age, the struggles I had had, what I had had to overcome personally, you know, things that had happened in the industry. So just my view, it was hard for me to discern truth. Not so much like if people were just lying to me, that definitely was part of it, that I was a little bit young and naive, but just truth as far as what is the long-term goal? Because I couldn't tell the difference between, here's a good example, somebody like yourself, and you're a very accomplished jiu-jitsu player. You've, you've competed on a world level. You've achieved so many things. I would struggle seeing the difference between you and the guy that I was training with that was just way better than I was that told good stories. Like I, I didn't know how to measure um, their, their true capabilities as far as like, you know, man, this guy maybe has a few more stories than he does capabilities hmm. versus somebody that's, you know, went out and tested it, you know? So that's what I really struggled with. And it was hard because I had to learn the hard way through a lot of mistakes of, you know, being around the wrong people and kind of going down the wrong paths because I didn't know any better. And it was hard for me to tell the difference because everybody has a story, you know, especially in the martial arts industry, man, everybody's the best there ever was. If you just ask them, mm -hmm. um, you know, it just, so it was real hard for me to, to see which path was the quickest, most effective, um, which, which kind of, I mean, it led me to some great opportunities because oh, absolutely, you know, when you experience some, some negative routes and, and the wrong influences, it really helps you as a, as a leader and as a communicator, because now you know what not to do for sure. So it was beneficial, but it was frustrating because I was in a hurry. I was always in a hurry, which people today would probably tell you that hasn't changed because I'm yeah. a very impatient um, person. So, it, but that was probably one of the, the bigger struggles as far as an overall philosophical thing was, was definitely the discernment. And one of the things that we're talking a little bit before the interview and we chat on when I did the interview with you, we talk about quotes that you like and then you mentioned about the success leave uh, clues, uh, leaves clues. And uh, we talk about a little bit before I started recording about modeling excellence. So I think this comes along with what you're saying of the experience and knowing better. Next thing you're looking at things, modeling excellence. So I'd love you to share or expand a little bit on this with the listeners that are in their entrepreneurial journey and that can be beneficial to them. Yeah. It's so I feel like it's a unique paradigm. It's almost like the chicken and the egg, which comes first because being young and a little naive, you kind of follow the wrong people or the wrong advice at times, because when you're young, you're taught, listen to authority figures, follow the rules, decide to become successful. Well, when you do that and you're not getting the results that you want, you kind of flip and then you start becoming rebellious or you start becoming self-reliant because well, that didn't work. This didn't work. Then you start creating your own perspective. Well, this is the way it should be. And this is the way it should be. So you don't have good answers for struggles. So you start creating your own. And I think that a byproduct of that is when you start creating your own, I always call it self-regulated, which is a very dangerous place to be. When you become self-regulated, you get very biased because you don't have the experience to understand 
all of the moving parts. You don't have the been there, done that to know what is the right way, wrong way. So you really fall in love with this idea of this is how it needs to be. And I think that especially when you're younger, and I just know for me personally, self-esteem problems, you know, self-image struggles, you're wanting to prove to everybody what you're capable of and how good you can be and what you can accomplish. You start kind of falling in love with this idea that you can become and you start trying to create your own way, which, which is fine. But when you start trying to recreate before you're successful, um, it's, it's very much like you meet somebody that has a successful martial arts school and if that's what you want, and then you spend months telling them how that'll never work and you don't want to do this, and you don't want to do that, which I did. And, you know, I, I love Robbie Beard to death and he was so patient with me because that's one of the people that I was convincing this guy who's a successful school owner that, you know, his advice was not going to work for me. Um, and, and he was right because I wasn't listening. But yeah. you, you just start falling in love with creating your own ideas to a degree that it can sabotage your success because you don't have the experience on how to get there quicker. And yet you will start to believe that you do. You're like, no, I, I know this is the way. And there's times where you're the pioneer. Yeah. I mean, like I remember whenever we started teaching a, a mixed martial arts curriculum to kids like 15 years ago, everybody pushed back on that, that, oh man, this is not a good idea. It's not going to work. But for all those people that pushed back, all of the people that I was connected to that had real life experience, they all kind of, were, you know, their perspective was if it's structured, if it's organized, if it's safe and, you know, and you're not damaging these kids, then it is a good idea. Just depending on who you listen to. So there's times where you have to be the pioneer and create new ideas, but there's always people that have some experience and some wisdom that you need to be listening to and modeling. And especially if somebody has what you want, if you want a bunch of schools or if you want to own a business or if you want to be a speaker, if you want to be an author, stop trying to find your own. I'm going to make up the way that I get there because someday magically somebody's going to find me and they're just going to see how awesome I am. And then I'm going to be famous and I'll make all this money and I will get recognition for all of my special talents because I'm just walking my own path. And it's like, that's not exactly how it works. I think for most people, there's times in your life where that does occur, but I think there has to be a degree of intentionality. And I think you have to leverage that intentionality by modeling excellence and just getting to the success part, then start creating your own ideas within that success circle. Because if I never have a successful school and I never have a bunch of students, I don't need to be wasting my time about the types of, uniforms or the color on the wall or what kind of activities we're going to do because there's nobody there to participate in it. Mm -hmm. like you know so trying to reevaluate and, and do all these things that are not accomplishing the goal you know especially at that time i just i was very into creating my own thing i just wanted to put my own spin on it my own ideas and luckily I was surrounded by very good friends because Mike and Sparks have been with me forever. We've been best friends since we were kids. We've always done martial arts and they have always done such a good job of helping pull me out of that and grounding me because sometimes I would just get hyper-focused on, we just need to do it our way in this different way because different equaled significant. 
at that stage in my life. And I think that that is a very slippery slope for people is that they strive to be so different that it will take them out of the path to success at times. Cause I know it did for me. It delayed our success for almost 10 years, you know, and I learned valuable lessons in that 10 years, but I could have talked and listened to somebody and probably done it in less than three. If I would have just got over myself and listened and quit trying to tell them what I thought mm-hmm. and just followed the plan and the structure, then define my identity and the gym's identity and our team dynamic once we had arrived instead of doing all that before we were even out of the parking lot. Mm-hmm. And how long it took you to actually have this realization, you know what I mean, of like open your mind a little more? Is that more like not just conversation with people, but like books or experience going to events, you know, like combination yeah. of things? So that's kind of an interesting story. So I was in the corporate world, making good money, young guy, 20 something, 23, 24, you know, I got a VP of this company that, you know, small company, but still, you know, I'm from my perspective, I have status, you know, and I'm, I'm generating a good income and just a couple years out of college. But as the company grew, my responsibilities grew and I was working on this program and I still have the timesheets because I tracked everything, especially when I was younger and I worked for somebody else because I could do it on their dime, not on mine. So I tracked <laughs> everything. And We had this special program and it was about six or seven weeks long. And I had to work, I worked on an average 108 hours per week. And and that was like legit work. I mean, I would go to the hotel and I would just lay on top of the bed and sleep for about three to four hours. I mean, I only showered about every third day because we were (laughs) running this huge multi-million dollar program and there was nobody else that could do it. I I was just, it was me and, and one of my, my buddies and then the boss, like, just nobody could do everything had to be done because we'd gotten in too deep and we had had, we did this program twice a year by the third one. So this was the second year I was really starting to get worried. And I was like, I don't know if I can do this again because it was just so hard on me physically. Like one year, I mean, I went to the doctor and, and he was like, Caleb, you're going to kill yourself, man. Cause I was sick. I had a mono at the time or something and like I had strep that was coming back and then, you know, he gave me some kind of medicine cocktail that he didn't even put a label on. He's like, don't drink too much because you'll choke on your own tongue. Don't drink if we go to sleep and tell nobody where you got this. Like he's like to just, just sip on it through the day to help this swelling. And it was just so bad on me. So on this, this next year, I was like, you know what? I'm going to find some kind of educational or motivational audio thing that I can at least start multitasking that'll keep me busy while I'm working all the time, you know, cause it's about 18, about 18, 19 hours a day. Cause I had to run, there's two shifts of people and plus office work and stuff. So I found a way to download these audio tapes and I got them onto my phone, which, Hey man, 2000, and, cause this was probably 2003, um, 2003, like that was kind of a technical thing where I was like, I'm able to get this stuff onto a phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got on my phone and I listened to these audio tapes every day for six weeks and which I, so one do you remember people. um who i were? do so it was a it was a tony robbins program which i didn't even know who this guy was mm-hmm. even when i was listening i had no clue anything about him i just looked up motivational audio tapes and it was uh his seven day course and so i downloaded these audio things on my phone and i listened to those 
for seven days a week for six weeks over and over and over and nice. over just for a just for an escape from the work to help me do a better job at work so and i didn't think nothing of it well then i'm driving home <clears throat> and i was going to my buddy mike's house because you know he's running the gym and you know the, the tool shed and stuff while i'm gone and i'm headed back to his place and i could feel like an emotional pull driving down this road going to his house and I couldn't figure out what it was. Like I was starting to kind of get nervous because I was like, well, what is happening? Because I could feel like my heart rate was increasing and I just felt like a negative wave on me, you know, just this weight. I just felt this weight and I couldn't identify it. I didn't was going, I remember I stopped in his driveway and I was like taking deep breaths. I thought, could I be having a panic attack? You know, because I just, I don't know. I mean, I'm healthy, I'm an athlete and I couldn't figure out what happened. And it just dawned on me that my emotional perspective had shifted like in that moment i had realized that i had been so focused for six weeks and putting this information in my brain about just you know focus on something positive you know find a way to grow you need to learn better manage your relationships manage your health manage your physical body um because you know what the information that was in those tapes you know was educational it was like you know learn about your diet be an athlete find a solution you know and, and that just kept berating me for six weeks straight that it had emotionally shifted me. And when I went back home, my old habits and my old perspective, which was a little bit pessimistic, I was kind of a, a cynic. I tell people I was a realist and it was like the worst experience of my life. So I was a very realist person and I had shifted kind of out of that, not even knowing it. And that's what I was feeling is I was feeling this draw back to this old emotional preset you know and it's not that it was all bad it was just different and that's when i became what i would call self-aware that, that's when i understood that i was operating on patterns i was operating you know based on just natural perspectives i wasn't trying to control my internal dialogue i wasn't trying to control my focus and my energy all the time um, i did it a lot of the time because being an athlete and a martial artist and you know especially after um, I had a surgery when I was younger, especially like getting through that had given me a lot of discernment. And this was just kind of that next step that gave me this degree of self-awareness. And so that was the first transition. And that's when I quit my job. So when that happened, it was not maybe a month or two later, I walked into my boss's office and, and we're good friends to this day. I mean, he's just, he's one of the great mentors in my life. He, he's family to me. I'm, I'm his other kid. And I walked into his office. I said, Martin, man, I quit. He looked at me and he goes, do you need more money? And I was like, no, I got more than I can spend now. I was like, I want to go open the martial arts school. I want to be a fighter. I just, you know, all the stuff I was afraid to tell anyone suddenly this is what I was doing. And he was just like, well, you know, I support you no matter what you do. And I remember, cause at this time we had the martial arts school kind of up and going part-time I didn't know what the books looked like. I didn't know if there was enough money. I had no clue. I, cause I had dreamed I'm going to work this corporate job, grow the gym on the side. And when it's ready, I will do that full time. And I was going to do all this math and accounting and all this stuff I learned in college to do that. But here I am standing in my boss's office and I'm like, Nope, I am done. I have no clue what's going to happen. I own a house. I have a car payment. Don't know. I'll figure it out. And so that was my first leap of faith. Um, 
that was not blind because I mean I wasn't unintelligent just walking into nowhere, but it yeah. was definitely a leap of faith, and I jumped early. Man, that's awesome, and and this is something that. I think a lot of people at some point like you didn't know, I didn't know those courses that they have online, those programs, man, they're literally life changing. You know what I mean? The amount of uh, lives that Tony Robbins has changed just with like, you know, a little book or a simple program and exactly that to have the self-awareness to even realize what's going on in my head. You know, for me, it was the same too when, as soon as I get involved with this, I'm like, wow, I actually, I thought I did, but I like, I actually never stopped to think about what is going through my mind. You just, you know, of course I'm thinking I'm accepting challenges and all the things, but as you, as you mentioned, like a deeper understanding of self-awareness. And then the next step was like, okay. I was like, wow, I have a lot more negative thoughts than I, than I imagined. And I always say that, of course, number one is self-awareness but has to be followed by self-regulation. You have to learn how to manage those thoughts because it's easy to be like, oh yeah, I'm being totally negative, but I'm not going to do anything about it. You know, so it's self, have the self-awareness followed by the self-regulation to, to manage your thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and that is practice. I mean, th- those six weeks for you are incredible and yeah, crucial to change your mindset. It was, and it was a major benefit to me because then I started looking for more information, you know, like Wayne Dyer, you know, Matt yeah. Maxwell, or just, you know, Jack Canfield, all these guys. I was just like, there's all this information out there. And so then I just started becoming a sponge. And what I really realized through that, the more that I got educated, the more I valued the people I had around me because, and especially those days, you know, me, Mike and Sparks were kind of the trio and just it really helped me realize how much those guys did to help keep me on track. Cause they were older than I was. So they kind of always had, you know, big brother, like keeping me on track. Hey, you know, learning the ways of life when you're 17, 18, 19, 20. And they were about four or five years ahead of me, which I tell everybody 10 years cause they're old, you know, I make fun of them, but, um, but you know, it's four or five years, my senior. So they were always kind of, you know, giving me some different perspectives and I look back at how much that really impacted what we've done as a team is because it was, it was their influences that helped mask some of my ignorant mistakes and some of my misconceptions, you know, just, they always grounded me. And then when I started learning, there's all this information out there and I became a little bit more self-aware, understanding my own behavior. It really gave me a lot of more, a lot more momentum because then I could start measuring my reactions and my perspectives. And then I started really seeing how many problems I had, you know, I was just like, Oh my gosh, man, I'm in my own way. I'm in my own Mm -hmm. way all the time. And it was just, it was so subconscious. Like I would react to something and then immediately like a second later be like, dad, why are you reacting this way? But I was always after the reaction Mm -hmm. and it took me, probably, you know, two years before I felt that I reacted before the, it took you me start filtering, like start filtering. What's exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like I can remember when the reaction changed and, and it took me a while and, and having the school, the martial arts school actually helped me because it forced me to learn new skills and interact with people differently. Um, Cause you know, I'm this young guy trying to be an MMA cage fighter, be tough, show everybody what I can do. 
And then here I am having to be a leader mentor to these kids and, you know, and deal with the family dynamics to where you can't be tough guy all the time. And I can remember running into a parent one time in a store and my initial reaction was one of, you know, who just bumped into me, you know, just a little bit crass. And I turned around and it was a parent of one of my little kids in my class that I was teaching. And that moment changed the rest of my life because then I realized you have got to stop trying to show people that you're tough or that you're trying to intimidate because fear is not respect. And that moment taught me that because I immediately switched gears and I was like, oh, hey, how are you? But I knew on the inside how I reacted and felt and what type of energy I was trying to propagate. And that taught me one of my best lessons in my entire life. And it really helped me start to try to get over myself. I mean, we're always battling the pride and ego, but that was a major moment of clarity for me that I have got to stop focusing on myself and being so self-absorbed of what people think of me. I need to start helping others. So that was a major transition for me. Uh, it just reminds me when one of the big ones for me that's when I didn't control, let's say, my emotions, well, I remember, you know, I would have, you know, fits, you know what I mean? When you just frustrated something, you just have a little fit or whatever. And then one time I saw my son when he was probably like eight or nine, and suddenly he was doing the fit just like me. I was like, oh, my God, that's the little Gustavo, like what I'm doing, you know, like he learned that from somewhere, you know, so that kind of, uh, that one opened my mind. That was like the early early stages of me being introduced to self-awareness too i'm like man and i think what's incredible and it's a key word here that comes back to tony robbins that's one of my favorite quotes is it's in your moments of decision that your destiny is shaped and when you made the decision to seek knowledge to go after information everything changed and that's probably for people who are listening if you can have one takeaway that's it you know, the decision, the decision you're going to make, it's going to lead not always to desired outcomes, you know, the decisions that we make. However, it's an, it's, I always mention this in a podcast, I do my best, I've been trying for the past uh, few years to always try not to label things like, oh, this is negative, oh, this is positive, it's just an experience, that's all that is, you know, something that it's, we label negative right now, and it's an undesired outcome, maybe in five years, I look back and I'm like, man, that was a blessing. So glad that happened. You know, so you know, we have to go through those. And I've, I've heard the same thing in jujitsu where I one time heard a guy say, there's no such thing as a bad position in jujitsu. And I remember looking at him because it was earlier in my career. And I looked at him. I was like, man, back mount is bad. Like if you're on my <laughs> back and he said, no, there's no such thing as a bad position. There's just the next position you got to get to. And that really impacted me because I got what he was saying years later. That mm -hmm. was, yes, there are positions that are more advantageous than others, mm -hmm. but you can't, like you said, you can't label it because then that can cause panic. And then yeah, you, sure. you know, maybe a delay, you hesitate the moment you should have went and you don't go because you're thinking about, oh no, I'm in a bad position. And you know, the idea was you just have to get to the next position. Everything is transitional and, and through the self-development 
and listening to these people that are just trying to find ways to improve themselves and others, all the books and the biographies and everything. That was the big thing that I started to take away was it's just using that moment as a stepping stone for the next moment. Because I know when I talk to people, I usually ask people, I'm like, what are the top three lessons that you've learned in your life? What would you pass on to your children? What would you pass on to somebody you care about? And usually those three lessons are directly correlated to a tragedy in their life or something extremely difficult. And they're at the point now to where they value that situation in their life because it taught them this lesson. Now, granted their circumstances. Yes. I mean, obviously we would change if we could, but you can't, but they've converted into a moment of growth. You know, you can never take away what has happened to you, but you can direct what is going to happen in the future with your perspective. And so now when I run into struggles or difficulties, I don't feel like they are bad situations or I can't believe this happened or this is so negative. I always look at it as what is this going to teach me? You know, is this going to make me smarter? It's going to make me more resourceful. It's going to make me work harder. You know, it's going to teach me to let go of things. So it's really given me so much peace because I don't, hold on to those situations and those moments as long as I used to. I still do. I mean, I have bad days. There's bad times. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just like, man, this sucks. But I'm trying to shorten that time down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if it takes somebody 10 years to take a bad situation and turn it into a positivity, why not do it in five or one or maybe in a month or a few minutes? Like who knows what's possible? So now that's what I've kind of been working on is training my brain and my perspective to where when I see those things, I'm just like, okay, what's this going to teach me? What good's going to come out of this? And it has really made life a lot easier. It truly has. Like yep. I don't get stressed near as much. Mm-hmm. I mean, I sleep so much better these days. And honestly, I solve problems faster because I'm not inhibited with the fear and the weight that I used to be by trying to label everything and You know, I mean, I have to be aware of multiple facets. And like I said, things get frustrating, but I just handle it so much better than I used to. Yeah, basically, you start responding to the experience and the situation instead of reacting. And when you react too much emotion into it, and when you respond, that's where you start to use our intellect. Like, wait a minute, You you feel that, you know, like I said, able to filter that before, filter faster too before you maybe say something back right away or react to it which is easy and said but it's a lot of practice like daily practice you know absolutely i mean uh, it's just like jujitsu. whenever the white belt's getting choked in a tournament what's the first thing they do they look at coach and then they look <laughs> back like that moment of you know starting the defense is what they needed but they were they externalized it and it's like oh coach look what just happened to me you know and you know on the inside they're like how did I let this happen? Oh man, like, am I going to get choked out? Like your mind works so fast. You've run through seven conversations before you even start the defense to the choke, you know, because you're still, oh, this is a bad thing. And, and the more advanced players, that goes away where that moment and that delay doesn't happen as much. Mm-hmm. What did you say is one of the best advice that I've ever received? Any area, could it be life, business, jujitsu? What's something that pops up to your mind? You know, I have received so much good advice. It actually goes back to this guy named Mike Melio. Um, 
he lives up in the Northeast. He actually, he's in the metal industry, but he was speaking at this event and I just connected with him. I was like, man, this guy's smart talking about business and making it. I mean, he was just destitute, homeless and found this opportunity. And it just, it was an amazing story. So I go looking for this guy around this venue, you know, cause you know how speaking events are where like you got all these people and there's the, the stage and then there's the sound stage and then there's security. So I don't know why something hit me and I was like, I'm going to go find this guy and I'm walking around snooping and I just, it's not working. I've snuck around wherever I can security stopping me here and there. And I'm walking down the hallway and he ducks out of a curtain. And I was like, Oh man, you're the guy I need to talk to. And so I'm talking to him about the schools and some of the struggles and, you know, I'm just like, what advice do you have for a guy? And first he showed me, brought out his phone. He goes, let me show you something. And he brought up a picture of his kids and both his kids are doing martial arts. He said, first, you need to understand that what you do for a living is one of the most important things on this planet because you're not regulated by government like our school systems and you're investing in our children and you're teaching them skills that most sports can't teach them. He said, so you got to know how important what you're doing is and don't minimize that because obviously trying to be humble, you minimize yourself and you know, it's like there's a difference between arrogance and confidence, but and martial artists, we often struggle with that. So I'm just, I minimize and minimize and minimize. <clears throat> and then he asked me, he's like, do you want to know the truth? And I look and, and it just, I was like, yes. <laughs> and he said, okay. And so he's like, he took me over away from these people. And he looked me in the eye and he goes, you got to promise me that if I tell you the truth, that you will hear me and you won't beat the crap out of me. He's like, cause you're not going to like what I have to say. And I was like, well, of course I want to hear the truth. And oh my gosh, man, he looked me right in the eye and he said, successful people can't stand beggars. And man, my ears just got red and burned because I was like, what? You know, it's like, <laughs> and, and I don't even know what he said for the next few minutes because it took me it's, about five minutes to like, it's one of those, myself. you can't handle the truth. You know? Oh yeah. my gosh, man. It was like, it was so stereotypical. And so when I kind of phased back into what he was saying, he was like, nobody likes anybody looking for handouts. And once again, I'm like, I'm not looking for a handout, man. I'm asking for advice and success. And he loops it around. He's like, stop seeking sympathy. And he's like, that's the problem. You are seeking sympathy. Even though you're doing good things and you're a motivated guy, he's like, there's always a qualifier. Yeah, I'm just trying really hard, but it's just not working. Man, I'm trying to read all these books, but it just didn't work. He's like, you have to stop seeking people's sympathy because that is the most dangerous drug on this planet because it breeds laziness. You know, it breeds the wrong energy fulfillment. It's easy to get sympathy from people. Like the victim mentality in a way. Absolutely. You know, cause, and, and, and cause this conversation went on for a while cause, and that's where he clarified, like once he kind of got into, it, he's like, you're not a victim mentality. He's like, you are a warrior, a martial artist, an athlete. He's like, but there's a piece of you that seeks sympathy for your good efforts that are not rewarding you. <clears throat> there's a piece of you that's seeking this sympathy as a reward for your good efforts that are not rewarding you to the degree that you thought that they should. 
He's like, it's just a small piece. And then he, and he flipped it on. He's like, in the martial arts, when you're in a fight or you're in a competition, how often is it one little detail that costs you the victory? You know, and so by now I'm kind of like back to normal person a little bit. I mean, I was still pretty wound up and, and I got, and he was right. And that's what frustrated me more. Like the more that we got into it, the more I was able to see, he was absolutely correct. Mm -hmm. There's always this little sliver of you that want, you want people to recognize how hard you're trying and you want credit for trying. And he was just being straight. And he's like, you don't get credit for trying, man. And the credit you do get for trying, it will never convert into anything of real value it will only keep you where you are so this was a very impactful thing that hit me. i like it um and i for a month he, he gave and so here's the flip side he's like you want some education you want to get better he's like here's this educational class that was going to go on <clears throat> excuse me sorry he looks at me and he goes hey there's this educational class that's going to happen and it was expensive man i mean it was like 10 grand or more and he's like you come up with half of it, I'll pay the other half. And of course, you know, by then I'm just like, I kind of appreciate it, but I was like, I don't know. I mean, I was hearing what he said, but I was still just so frustrated with the whole thing. So he gave me his contact information, which he wasn't teaching the class. Like he's not, he wasn't financially connected to this thing or nothing. It was just like, Hey, here's this thing. It'll help make you smarter. That's what you want. Um, you do your part and I'll help. And so it really, you know, now I'm kind of like, man, I kind of got to like this guy because he told me how it was. He's trying to help me, but I was so frustrated. It took me a month to really process and get over myself over that because I was just so frustrated because I just felt like it just kind of insulted me, you know, and like, I'm not that kind of person. And then I realized, man, he was right. Like there was a part of me, it wasn't large, but there was a part of me that was you know, kind of seeking a little bit of sympathy and just kind of the, well, man, I'm trying hard, you know? And so a month later, sent him an email and said, man, you know, I really appreciate it. And so that kind of started a conversation and, and it just started a, a mentor relationship for the last probably seven or eight years. It's, it's been wow. in the back, but it was, it was a turning point just cause man, he was raw. And he even tells the story to his day. He's like, yeah, man. He's like, I really thought you were going to just beat my tail right there. And that's that <laughs> hotel, man. He's like, you were not happy, but you said you wanted the truth. And I really believed you could, you could handle it. And, you know, so it's really worked out well. Nice. That's great. Now, when you look back, let's say, what advice would you give to the younger Caleb? Let's say a moment that you start when you start to step up a little a little more with your school and everything with the business what advice would you give to the younger Caleb not that you want anything different but based on yeah you know the experience well, I mean, that you had what do you say absolutely there's there's things that you need to hear at that age because you're gonna make those mistakes you're, you're gonna it's just minimizing those mistakes I think what would have helped me would have been a little bit more of a comprehension of just because you are modeling excellence and following advice does not mean it is not your own identity that is accomplishing it because that's what I wanted. I wanted my own identity and recognition for creating something. And I felt that if I followed any of their advice or modeled them too closely, then it was not my own. And now I have learned that, that is not true. It is yeah. when you model and follow the advice, it is still your own because it is you and your approach 
and your discernment that is accomplishing that. And you will develop your own brand and your own kind of logistical approach to this, even though it is modeling others. And that's something that I think would have helped me younger because if, if I could have been educated, because I'm sure people told me this, it's not that nobody told me, it was just, I wasn't hearing it. And if I could have spoke to me in a way that could have helped me connect that idea that you are still your own person, it is still your own creation, even though you're following this advice. Yeah. And it's interesting when we talk about the reinvent the will and when you, when you think about it, man, how many types of different wheels there are out there, you know what I mean? Or like tires and circling things that are going to spin, you know, but yeah. still coming out of one major concept and then God knows how many thousands of variations in of that. Absolutely. I mean, cause even within business, like even on schools, like we own several different schools, we run several different models, you know, I've got a 10,000 square foot school and then I got a little 1200, 1500 square foot school. Like we run those different models. And then over the last few years, I've gotten, you know, involved with other businesses outside of the industry and, and consulting for people that are doing things that are not martial arts related because it's the same structure. It's the same idea. And, and there's, there's hacks that make it work faster. And that's what I really look for is I have a lot of mentors and educators in my life and some that are very personal, some that are, you know, kind of acquaintances and some I've never even met, you know, I listen to their books or, you know, you know, see their videos or whatever, but it just, I have all these influences. But the biggest thing that I notice out of all of this information is it's kind of the same structure. And now you're looking for those little details. Just like when I'm looking at jujitsu technique, I'm not looking for the big move. I'm like, where did Gustavo just put his hand? Like, like, where did he, what, what was that grip? Because those details make the difference mm-hmm. later in the game. And so that's allowed me to do a lot of cool things, you know, and really, you know, travel the world, not just with martial arts, but with, you know, just kind of helping people grow their businesses or their brands or their ideas. And, and so it's just kind of become a new challenge that it's a lot of fun because structurally it's still the same. And I think that the martial arts piece of it almost makes that structure more valuable because martial arts is all about relationships. You know, you're connecting with people and influencing them and mentoring them and being a leader on so many different levels that when you have that responsibility over people's lives, when you take that outside of the martial arts industry to a different industry, a lot of times it's kind of revolutionary because other industries aren't thinking on that level as far as like, man, I want to influence this person all the way through to their family and their health and their wellness. I want to be a good mentor and a good model. A lot of industries don't even think about that. So there's the competitive advantage. Right on. And what do you say a book that you could recommend and why? And that you can go any direction you want, personal development, entrepreneurship, a book that made uh, an impact on you in in a moment in your life. It's funny when sometimes I have books that I, I read five years ago and I'm like, meh. And then I'll read again in five years. I'm like, oh, wow, wait a minute. You know, it, it's like a different book, you know? So yeah. what is one that comes to your mind? So I have to... I have to give you three because there's, there's three that actually, because one is kind of funny. Um, Mm -hmm. So back in the tool shed days, Ken Shamrock wrote a book years ago and, you know, and people have opinions up and down and, but he was one of the leaders of MMA and back in the day, and he wrote a book back in the day. And I can remember reading that book and that solidified everything I wanted to do as a competitor, as a martial artist, as a fight, like 
because I remember starting reading that book. I read it all one night because I was just like, yeah, man, it, it hit me at the right time in the right development. You know, I read the book now and I kind of, I snicker and I laugh a little bit because it's a little mm -hmm. bit silly, you know, but, but there's some good stuff in there. Put me on the right path. Then now current date, the two that I'm at, uh, the two that I think are real valuable is uh right of a lifetime. Robert Iger wrote that he uh, um, is a CEO of Disney, man, that really hit me because he went deep as far as he was so real about running an organization and culture and how he kind of uses that to be successful. He just, he really gave a very raw look at how the business operated and just the truth about people, the different personality types, the guys that were aggressive, the guys that were lazy. And just, I valued the authenticity of what he said so much. And just looking at what he was dealing with, like when he opened Disney in China and they just had that terrible circumstance of that child in Florida, you know, that got, um, that got killed by that alligator thing and all that. I mean, he was dealing with that all on the same day and just how he coped with that and trying to help that family. Like it really impacted me of just, there's so many real problems out there that people have to deal with within a business or within a brand that is just, I'm over here sweating, you know, like, Oh man, somebody left stuff on the mats, you know, and it, there's, there's real issues out there people have to deal with. And it really impacted me um, to kind of see how minimal my problems really were. And then the other one was the talent code where that guy studied all these different sports and what makes people faster, stronger. And it just really helped me understand the thousand hour rule mm -hmm. of you have to spend the time. The myelin has to grow. It's a neurological thing. You do have natural predispositions, but you have to put in the work, which I had always known. You've always got to put in the work. And it just gave me a different approach to it on trying to hack that system once again is how do you put in the work faster? How do you take the shortcuts? And, you know, so those, those are my three books that kind of impacted me. Sorry, you wanted one, but I, I read a lot of books. I, I'm an mm -hmm. audiobook junkie. Like I just, man, I just can't get enough of it. Cause like I always say, you know, just there, there, there's clues that are left and I'm just trying to find some. Yeah. And the talent code, I have this one too. And I think it reminds me the outliers too, right? You know, like yes, talking yes. about all yeah. that, some of the stories, fascinating book, man. Fascinating Absolutely. stories. You know, you're like, wow, that makes so much sense. Oh yeah. I mean, and he sucked me in with outliers. Like I was buying into, yeah, man, maybe the month you're born. I was like, are they about to prove this matters? <laughs> you know, like, I mean, he sucked me in hook, line and sinker. I was like, man, these are real correlative facts. And then the hook. And I thought, Oh, okay. Okay. So at least there's some logic. Cause I was like, man, am I about to have to go get a horoscope? <laughs> I mean, I was really getting concerned and, and then just seeing, looking back to the base. And that's what I always look for at a performance, whether it be athletes or people in their life, you got to go back to the beginning. You, you got to go back to the beginning of your, your childhood and the transactions that you learned emotionally, mm -hmm. physically, you have to go back and review those and see what your predisposition was on how you achieve, how you get recognition, how you get love, how you get, you know, um, relationships with people. Like there's a system that was kind of set up at a very young age and you have to go back and evaluate it so you can understand at your core, how you naturally operate. So then you can kind of start structuring your life around how you operate so that you can perform higher, faster, you know, and better. Yeah. Have you watched any documentary on Warren Buffett? Yes. Big Warren Buffett fan I actually did. Uh, yeah. One of my college, that was when I was going through college, 
I got a couple degrees and I had to do a couple different pieces. And one of my ones in finance was on Warren Buffett because I actually did a personality profile on him to where instead of just looking at his investments, I went back and tried to study his, more his, his psychology. His patterns and everything. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating, dude. Yeah, oh it's amazing. Well, it's just so simple. Like, it's complex, but it's simple. It's, man, it goes back to jiu-jitsu. Just pass the guard, man. That's all you got to do. Just pass the guard. Yeah. Difficult to do, simple idea. And I think the magic is how do you take the simple idea and connect it with the complexities of reality? And I feel like Warren Buffett has really done a good job on kind of illustrating those principles because um, everybody wants the magic, the magic concoction, but man, it's just like passing guard. You can't, there, there is no magic concoction. Like it's like, Oh, just do this. That doesn't exist. And that's what people want out of Buffett. Just tell me what, what do I need to invest? It's, it's alive. It's moving. It's evolving. It's a living, breathing situation. There is no one answer. And people don't like that because as, especially as Americans, we are very, you know, one or zero on, off, black, white, left, right. We don't deal well with middle gray, but that's the reality of it. I mean, it just, it, just, it changes too much. We're emotional creatures. And until we can understand that emotional kind of rhythm that we all live in, you're going to struggle because you're looking for, just tell me the answer. And that's just not how it works. Yeah. I remember listening to a story of Warren Buffett. I think the first investment that he made i think it was like six years old or something that i think he used a quarter to buy like six i think sodas or something and then sold for for 30 and then he had 20 percent profit you know yeah. and and now he's like that's what he did his whole life you know what i mean yeah he figured it out i, I have a funny story when i was in like sixth grade i started selling candy at school never even heard of one but i was just like man i can buy like three of these for a dollar at this store <laughs> So I started selling this candy at school and I got in big trouble and the teacher, I don't know why it was such a big deal, but it became a big deal. And I remember, yeah. Cause I, to me, I was just like, well, I mean, if I can make some extra money, cause you know, I just wanted to buy some toys or something like that. But um, yeah, my entrepreneurship started kind of young because I was like, man, at school, there's no access to any of this good candy and stuff. So if I can provide a service to these kids. <laughs> yeah. So I was, you know, and, yeah, I ran that little racket for a minute until I got in trouble. So yeah, I got I got in trouble too. My mom at a school with the selling stuff. You know, yeah. I I don't have the memory, but my mom told me when I was four, about four or five, we used to have a lemon tree and back, and then they start kind of dropping, start collecting them, put in a box, and like she was like, "What are you gonna do with it?" Or like, "I'm gonna put a, a stand up front. I'm gonna sell it because otherwise, you know, what I'm gonna do with this? We need to sell this so you can." Uh, use this a month so I don't throw it away. So it's interesting, yeah. like, you know, you're that young, your brain is already kind of having these yeah. ideas. So, well, that's when you know that you have the entrepreneurial DNA. You don't have, True. as as yeah. Gary Vaynerchuk uh, uh, say, some people have entrepreneurial tendencies, some people have entrepreneurial DNA, you know, and when you have the, when you have the, just the, kind of like the some of the intention the tendencies is different because it's like oh that would be cool if i have this if i do that and it didn't work no problem do something else but yeah. when i have the dna like didn't work well you you're gonna try something else you're gonna you're still gonna be with that entrepreneurial bug you know what i mean oh absolutely and, and something ironic is a lot of entrepreneurs i know it's not about the money um because especially for me like i'm really not 
like I'm financially driven, but not because I want money. Cause even like I told this story, like I was in the corporate world, I was making more money. I knew I had to spend. And I just walked away from it. Cause that's not what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it's, it's the chase. It's, yeah. it's the growth. It's the, it's the creation and, you know, and come up with ideas, but you become financially driven because those are the resources that allow you to grow and create and make things. So I tell people all the time, my saying is, you know, you need money to do stuff. Just like if I needed a truck full of screwdrivers, I would go find screwdrivers. Like it's just money, just a tool. And for me, I've never fallen in love with, with having it. Um, I do like systems that create it just because I know that I can go do something good with that because mm-hmm. that's the resource. And so regardless if I need money or screwdrivers or ideas or people, that's what I use to grow. So it's kind of a unique thing where I know a lot of entrepreneurs get labeled as being money hungry or greedy or things of that nature, which I'm sure it does exist, but Mm -hmm. I know a lot of them, it's just the thrill of the hunt, you know, it's the game. And, and for me, it's definitely been that. And now it comes with the fiscal responsibility of, you know, I've got 20 something employees and people I care about. I've got people that have followed me for over a decade, people that have followed me for near a decade. I mean, most of my employees have been with me so long, I don't even look at his employees. I'm like, guys, we're a team, you know, because like you're doing just as much as I am, you know, we're in this thing together. And so now I look at it from a responsibility perspective of, I want to make sure that they have the life that they deserve, you know, like they should be able to take care of their family. They shouldn't be struggling, especially with what they're doing, you know, teaching kids martial arts and adults, martial arts, you're doing something so positive in the world. They shouldn't be driving some beater car that breaks down that they, you know, flat tire doesn't run can't afford this, can't afford, that should not be their lifestyle. And so I have been working hard to find a way to compensate, you know, these people doing something that matters in a way to which they can have a very stable, rewarding life because they deserve it because of everything they're committing to their students. And so that's become a little bit more of the responsibility piece for me financially. Um, But it's just, it is unique that it's like money's part of the equation, but it's just a tool. It's really about what you build at the end of the day. For sure. So we're getting close to the end of the interview for people who are listening for the first time. After the interview, I reflect on what was said and create a content from five to 12 minutes to inspire, impact, and or improve your life in some way. So make sure you stick around for my final thoughts after the end of the interview. And what are you currently excited about? What's going on? I know that right now is a rough time. We're going through the quarantine and everything. But what uh, you know that you do in your podcast? So what you got? So currently, I'm really excited just for the schools because even with this struggle, the amount of resourcefulness that I am able to see out of my team and the love that they have for the students and the love the students and families have for us, like we have, you know, over 900 and something students, you know, so with families and everybody, I mean, this is, we have so many people across our locations and just able, and being able to see everybody come together for this to do, you know, the virtual classes, the online curriculum, the lives. And then I've been doing this podcast with industry leaders to kind of give some positive inspiration and hope of, you know, just letting people see other people that have been where they are and just see the success they have. So just seeing everybody come together and the creativity that's come out of it, because not one of my people flinched and was like, oh no, what are we going to do? They just dug in and pushed and, and that's inspired me. And so I'm digging in, I'm pushing and, and just kind of working 
more of the online platform and, and just trying to connect with people. And then our, cause we still have plans to open, you know, two more schools towards the end of the year. And those plans haven't changed. I mean, man, I started this big Bentonville mess in the middle of the crash of 08 with nothing like showed up to a town, wasn't from here, didn't live here, no students convinced the landlord to build out the property. So I'm like, man, we're going to be fine. So we're looking at doing a couple more schools there. Uh, we've been looking at doing some schools in other states in the last probably year, year and a half. So we've been looking at that and there's just so much growth happening right now. And these opportunities that come around with this type of situation, there's a lot of real challenges happening right now and it's tough. And I just want to remind people that these are the moments of opportunity, that this is really where you can have the chance where a landlord's going to be flexible to start a business. Um, equipment or stuff that you need to start a business, those guys are going to be flexible because their businesses are hurting. Like they're going to want to invest in people and gamble on people to be successful long term. You know, I mean, just like what's going to happen with the real estate market or just like with stocks right now, just there's going to be opportunities for people that have struggled amassing resources to make their move. Because I showed up with 300 bucks and ended up, you know, paying, you know, I'll pay $11,000 a month for rent at one location. That started by a guy that took a bet on me in 08 just because things were tight, economy was a struggle, and it's worked out. We have a great relationship. You know, he's helped me grow the gyms and we just we get along and he's been a good mentor to me. So the next year is gonna be truly a year of opportunity if you make it into that. And so that's my inspiration right now is there's going to be lots of chances for people to grow and diversify and just become different people, grow into what they're meant to be. Right on, man. Nice words. Caleb, thank you so much, man, for your time. I appreciate it. Congratulations on all your accomplishments and your journey. And uh, we have a lot of experience to share. So that was awesome. It was a great interview and I appreciate it, man. No problem. It was really nice to, to kind of talk about some of the history and everything. And I really appreciated getting to speak with you. Uh, with our interview the other day, um, our history is intertwined for years, but I feel like we've really got to connect through this whole struggle has kind of brought us a bit closer together. So I'm really enjoying that part. And I just really uh, value the time that you spent with me and asked some really good questions. And hopefully people can learn from some of my silly mistakes and maybe do it better and bigger because that's my expectation is my expectation is of my students and my team and the people who are around me is their job is to do it better. And that's kind of what I was here to do is set a framework so that people can use that to multiply so they can, uh, they can kind of do a little bit of a better job. Yes, sir. So for all the listeners, stick around for my final thoughts. Oos. Let me share with you my final thoughts from the interview with Caleb Plank. If you're listening just to the final thoughts on Instagram at Gustavo Dantas BJJ, Caleb is the co-owner of Inferno Martial Arts, which currently has three academies with a total of nearly a thousand students. Caleb shared how since he was a child, he knew that he was going to be involved with the martial arts for the rest of his life. After years of trials and tribulations, Caleb is now a successful entrepreneur. My takeaway from the interview came when he talked about modeling excellence, which inspired me to title this episode, Success Leaves Clues. 
which is a quote from the motivational speaker Tony Robbins. As a matter of fact, Caleb mentioned how the investment he made on one of Tony Robbins' programs in the mid 2000s was pivotal in his personal growth and consequently his professional life as well. If you have been listening to the podcast for a while, you already know that after the interview, I research more information on the topic, and sometimes I share audios of successful entrepreneurs sharing their knowledge. Today, I have a clip of the Evan Carmichael YouTube channel titled Success Leaves Clues. After the clip, Evan shares his wisdom as well. Check it out. How did you go from basically not having a hot meal to, you know, basically being a, a guru, an international guru, doling out financial advice well it's interesting i, I was just uh <laughs> worth magazine just named me their power 100 it was the 100 most influential people in global finance <laughs> along with carl all the guys i interviewed but part of it is i believe in modeling i believe success leaves clues if someone has done very well financially for decade after decade they're not lucky they're doing something different if someone is fit and healthy and they've managed it for 20 years they're lucky they got a great relationship they're, they're not lucky so i'm really good at deciphering what those things are so i would go sit down with someone like jack bogle you know who built you know three you know trillion dollar industry right you know and what he's doing there at vanguard and i'm supposed to have a 45 minute interview and we go four hours and he says he's been in the business 65 years and in the book he says it was the most penetrating emotional interview he's ever done in his life because i kind of extract it out of their brain and then make it simple so you can apply whatever problem you have right now someone has already figured it out whatever problem is in front of you in your business in your relationships in your life your career someone has already faced it and already has solved it and it may have taken them decades in some cases to solve it, and you can learn what they did, apply it to your situation, and in minutes have a solution. This is the ultimate shortcut to success. It's why I named my channel, my YouTube channel, Modeling the Masters, because my goal was to be able to model people who've done a lot more than me and hopefully speed my path forward and take you guys along my journey with me. I always say that Bill Gates saved my company, my first company. Now, I've never met Bill Gates. He's still alive, I still may get my chance, but I never met Bill Gates, but he personally saved my company. Because when I was struggling, when I was making 300 bucks a month, when I couldn't survive in my company, when I didn't know what to do, when I said I quit on my partner because I wasn't getting results from my company. After that worst day of my life, I woke up the next day and said, you know what, somebody has solved this. Somebody has figured out how to sell software. I'm not the first guy in the world to try to sell software. Who's already done this? And how can I model that success? And so I looked at Bill Gates. And how did he make his first million dollars? And I applied that strategy. For him, it was partnerships. And within a couple of weeks, I had my first deal with $13,500. And that was, that was gold to me. That was insane money for me at the time. And more importantly, I had a method to continue to make more money, form more partnerships, bring that more into my company. And I learned that just by reading his story. By all of the struggle and energy and effort that Bill Gates went to to build Microsoft. Here's a strategy that worked for him. I can learn from that and immediately apply it to my company and start seeing some results. It was crazy. And so it's how I approach every new problem that I don't know how to solve. Instead of just trying to come up with every genius idea myself, look at who's already solved it and apply it to my situation. Now, it'll always need some tweaks. The way it worked for Bill Gates is not the exact way that it works for me but he took me 90% of the way. I just had to figure out that last 10% instead of trying to figure out the entire 100. And so whatever challenge you have in front of you, whatever it is, whether it's I wanna launch a YouTube channel, whether it's I'm trying to figure out how to turn my side hustle into a full-time business, whether it's I'm trying to build a better relationship, whatever problem is in front of you, 
You are not the first person to go through this. Millions of people have gone through this. Learn their stories. Whether it's reading the biography, whether it's watching a top 10 video, whether it's listening to a podcast, whatever form you like to learn best from. I like video, I like, I'm a visual person, so that's why I make so many videos for this channel. Whatever format you like learning most, go out, find the people who've done it, learn from their strategies, try it, tweak it for yourself, and solve the problem. And then move on to the next one. And try to make that your default template. Whenever you are faced with a problem that you do not know how to solve, Yes, you want to bring your own creativity and ingenuity to it. And you want to look at who's already solved this problem because it will shortcut your path to solving it. All right, I hope you have enjoyed the audio. Evan had a good question at the end of the video that I'd like to ask you. What is one thing that you have modeled from somebody else and you had success with it? It doesn't have to be something big. It could be simple. For example, let me share something simple with you. I don't know when or who I learned this from, but the simple advice of reading 10 pages per day. If you read 10 pages per day in one year, this will represent 15 to 20 books, depending on the size of the book. Since I prefer audiobooks, I model to sit and listen to at least 30 minutes of a book per day. Modeling success doesn't have to be for a big business idea. You can model simple habits too. Successful people have successful habits. And as you already know, success leaves clues. Open your mind for old and new concepts that lead to success and model it if the success makes sense to you. Os. We're glad you were able to join us for this episode of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast. But the lesson doesn't end here. Watch the videos and download the audio of the 10 mental mistakes BJJ competitors make and how to avoid them for free when you subscribe to the BJJMentalCoach.com. Don't miss the chance to find out what might be holding you back from being your best self on and off the mat. That's the BJJMentalCoach.com.